Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical <laughs> Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is such a pleasure and an honor for me. This gentleman here is somebody that I consider a brother. I have a lot of friends in the, in the industry, but I only consider three people real brothers. Kelly, Eric Allen, and Joe Graham. They're somebody that I consider brothers that I know if I'm in need, I call them up. They're in their truck. They're in their cars on the way if I need help. So, guys, if you don't know Kelly, you need to know Kelly. We're going to be talking about his podcast. We're going to be talking about his group. We're going to be talking about a lot of things. But the number one thing is, Kelly, I love you. And I love you from the day you said you're going to be my friend for the rest of my life. And that <laughs> hit me. And you meant it. So, Kelly, brother, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Vertical momentum. It's it's been an inspiration to me. I mean, watching you, watching what you do, how you have been able to evolve over time. And uh better send me some of that coffee, man. My wife, my wife is all about the coffee. It'll light me up for a whole day, but uh, I would like to wake up with some caffeine and purpose. I love and I and we'll I'll get you the information, but the great thing about our coffee, um, it tastes great high energy but the best part of it is i make zero dollars off of it every single penny goes to help veterans struggling with homelessness and ptsd we actually um, are taking 12 veterans and their families taking care of them for one year physically financially spiritually and medically at zero cost to the soldier so every wow. everybody that buys a coffee Actually, the money goes to helping them. So it's coffee with a mission. So, oh my God. Um, other, so, if you guys want coffee, just write coffee down below and I'll get the information to you. So, right Kelly, on, my first question is what is your definition of resiliency? Um, the ability to snap back into natural form. And uh, that one for me is it's tough because when you get hit with a circumstance, right? Um, you have the tendency to fly off the handle. I do at least. I know you're perfect, Richard. I'm not. So I, I lose I lose my cool. I lose my religion. I lose everything. And resiliency is, for me, is the, the, the time and distance between my reaction and me snapping back into my natural form of who I was purposed to be. And a lot of times my resilience is weak. A lot of time, if somebody sees Kelly with his always taking pictures on the beach with his bo his books open, um, seeing you with Mr. Greg S. Reed, um, so seeing you with Mrs. Paula Abdul, um, they would say you've had the greatest life. You've had a perfect life. But we know that with your dad being a, a, a military brat, you had to move around a lot and you had to become resilient especially being a military child. So let's, you know, give us the quick down and dirty about who Kelly is, where you grew up, how you grew up, and how did you become such a force like you are today? <laughs> I don't know that I'm a force, but uh, I'm, I'm very, uh, very humbled in hearing you say that. But I, I was born in England, uh, moved to Taiwan, Idaho, Utah, Florida, California, um, to Memphis, back to California, back to Las Vegas and back to California. So for us, it was constant movement. It was a constant motion. And so I, I didn't realize it till I was 30 years old that I never put stuff up on my walls because I always felt like after two years we were going to leave. Um, but what, what I did realize later on is the thing that I have, um, the superpower that I have is the superpower that every single military brat or person in the military has. And that's the ability to adapt immediately, the ability to be the new kid, the ability to make new friends, the ability to cross cultures and connect with people from all different realms. We were talking before we, uh, before we started recording, Richard, and what I said to you is, most veterans and most military brats don't realize the superpower that they have that they could just uncover and realizing that they lived and grew up in a culture that most people never experience. And that is an eclectic culture of people from, I grew up with people from Japan and from Germany and from China and from uh, the Philippines and uh, black, white, 
you know, uh, Mexican, everybody. But that's not what most people live in. Most people live in a, a neighborhood that all the people look exactly like they do and they don't have to adapt. And we have the ability to adapt when you come from a military background. Okay, so talk to us because a lot of my kids know I'm very hard on my kids. I'm, I'm like they all know that it's called Kaufman time, uh, where I if 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 you're if you're not a half hour early, you're late. And for yes. me, if I want something done, I don't want to have to wait for you to do it. Just do it now. So talk to us about what it was like growing up as a military brat. Oh my gosh. My, well, my, my pops was very, very strict. There was three parts to my pop. I, I talk about him all the time. I love him. And he was the wisest man uh, for me that I ever met in my life. Um, but there was three parts to pops. There was the dad who was the military guy, you know, he grew up in the military, but he went into the military, not because, you know, he wanted to, it's because he didn't really have any other choice. But when he went in, um, he had this, uh, he calls it a pit bull mentality. He would lock his jaws onto whatever he wanted and he wouldn't let go until the, he either ripped the limb off or they killed him. And, uh, so he, he would lock on, but he also expected that, uh, early on. And so dad was a little rough. I mean, dad was, you know, he, he was focused, you know what I mean? But also too, I mean, he was 19 when he had my brother. So he was 19 years old and he was in the military with a newborn. And then at 22, he was overseas, you know, with a 19 year old, uh, bride and with two kids, not understanding the, the way that the world worked. Um, but it did bring, um, you know, discipline. It did bring those things. But what was great is they added, um, my mom added a ton of prayer to my dad's, uh, you know, uh, rough exterior. And, and I think that that kind of balanced it out. So what kind of kid was Kelly growing up? Oh, angry. Angry as could be, um, you know, I, I had a bad temper, uh, and I didn't know why, you know, I, I was, um, uh, I had a short, I had a short fuse and, um, you know, but also too, I think that a big part of it was, um, I was an optimistic kid because, and I learned this later on my brother, who's, uh, who's an incredible young man. Um, he's three years older than me and he would a lot of times step out into the hallway and in, uh, in between the fights of my mom and dad. And when he would, he would push me back in my room and say, play with your toys. And he would go out and sometimes take an ass beating. And I didn't realize the ass beating that he was taking. I was just in my room playing with the toys. So I thought my family, you know, everything was just cool, but I grew up as an optimist. My brother grew up as a realist because he was taken as beaten. And then when our friends would come over, everything would be fine. And so, you know, uh, I, I, again, I had a, a short fuse. I, I was a very, uh, you know, I had a lot of, uh, I had a temper, um, you know, and I kind of had to, you know, work through that. I was also the baby though, you know, so I got the name brand cereal and, um, you know, and what I didn't get with the finances I did get, uh, with prayer and love from my parents, you know what I mean? So, um, but I look back at it and, you know, I, I, I didn't know patience. I didn't understand that. Um, and I look at it now and there's times where I see my son, you know, quick, I mean, he's a very calm, cool, calm, collected kid, but there's times where he snaps quick. And I, I'm like, wow, he, he took after pop like me. And I, I want that. I want to, I want to make sure that I show him, you know, the humility, the calmness, the humbleness, um, and, uh, but also a little bit of fire too. That's kind of fun. So obviously you didn't join the military. <laughs> I thought I was and going to. So talk to us about that and, and tell us about, you know, why you chose to do what you do and you do very well, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, I didn't, uh, it wasn't really a choice. None of, none of the stuff that I've done in my life has ever been my choice. Um, it's always been the, what God had for me at the time. And, and a lot of times I'd resist it. And, um, I wanted to go in the military because growing up on a military base, me and my friend, Will, um, best friend, my best friend since fourth grade. And I just talked with him today. I talk with him almost every day. Um, we thought we were going to the military because, you know, we never had to pay for medical insurance. We never had to, we got to go to the commissary. Um, we never paid for housing growing up. And we were like, why would you ever go into the real world and have to pay rent? That's still silly. So we just thought our parents, like we thought his dad and my dad just stapled papers all day and that's what they did. 
little did we know they were hardworking in the military, all these things. But as a kid, you're just a silly, you know, bonehead. And I thought I was going to the military and, um, you know, I'm just about to graduate from high school and I was, I was thinking about it. And then I thought maybe I'll just go to community college for a little bit of time. My brother set up some classes for me and this, uh, my, my friend, Will, his mom came over to the house and I was cutting all the guy's hair, uh, on the basketball team, ba uh, football, baseball team, because I was the only guy with clippers. We had dog clippers cause my dad wanted to save money by shaving the dog. And my mom, uh, while, uh, my, my friend's, uh, mom was over. My mom said, why don't you go to school for that? Because I was cutting hair in the kitchen while they were there. And I thought, I don't know. So I went and checked it out. When I went and checked it out, they said it would be eight hours a day, 10 days or five, five days, eight hours a day, five days a week for 10 months. And I thought you're absolutely nuts. There's no way I'm going to another year of uh, high school. Um, but on the way home, I, uh, God asked me, um, what will you have after 10 months of community college? And I said, nothing. And he said, what will you have after 10 months of hair school? And I said, a, a, a license. And he said, that's your focus. And my dad taught me, my mom and dad taught me that I didn't have to ever be the best at anything. I just had to be the best at what I could be and that I had to give my best in anything. So I had to commit to it. So once that, once God let me know that that was my path, then I locked in and I you know, researched every single thing that I could. And I wanted to become the best that I possibly could be because I knew that's when my parents would support me. And I guess it didn't hurt being around hot chicks all day. That didn't hurt much either. <laughs> and that, that was a good thing, man. People ask me all the time, like, how do you build a business? I'm like, all you have to do is find one hot person and they hang out with hot people. Like I found one woman, it, it, it all goes back. Right. A girl named Susie Caldwell. She's still out there. Susie Caldwell came into the salon when I was 19 years old, had no clientele at all. I just blow dried her hair for uh, complimentary and told her I would like to, you know, work on people like her, like her friends. And you know what she did? She sent me everyone and everyone links back to her. Susie Caldwell. Thank you so much for, you know, starting my career. And, you know, I think that it's like that, like in the podcast space, right? If you have a cool guest, they have cool friends. And then those cool friends have cool friends because hot chicks hang out with hot chicks. Am I correct? Right. Yeah. And cool, yeah. cool people hang out with cool people. So I don't think that it's a real complicated, uh, um, methodology to build a business. It's just, you have to create evangelists, but what type of evangelist do you want to have? And I've been very fortunate to force people like you to be my friend. And then it makes life easier because you're the best at what you do. And I don't have to be that. I just get to be Kelly. And I love it. So, but now, because as you see, I'm writing stuff down as we talk. Yeah, yeah. I just went and got my hair cut today. Now, I'm not going to mention a name because I'm not going to get sued. Uh, but, you know, there's 10 people working there making whatever an hour. And they've been there 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And they got, and when you graduated, you, I'm sure you graduated with a bunch of people and you all got the same certificate. So, yeah. what made you decide? Okay, I want more than just cutting hair, working nine to five and having, you know, so what made you want more? I think it was my parents. You know, my parents always said that you could do anything that you put your mind to, but just because you could do it <clears throat> doesn't make it your purpose. And uh, they also told me that uh, they would support me as long as I did it to the best of my ability. I didn't have to be the greatest. I just had to be the best at what I could do. And so they never compared me. They always let me know that I was beautiful and that not to compare myself to anybody. And also they gave me something, uh, Richard, that they said that I was awesome and to separate myself from my accomplishments. My dad would always say, you're the greatest, so act accordingly. And imagine that charge as a young kid. Imagine if you felt that every single day, Richard. Richard Kaufman, you're the greatest, so act accordingly. And imagine if you just took that simple statement and every day you looked at your actions and you said, I'm the greatest. Am I acting according to that greatness? Right. And so when I came out of, when I came out of school in my, in my, uh, my dad's thought process from the military and just from who he was, my dad's was like, number two, can't do anything. Only number one can. Right. So there's no, there's no, there's no reason to follow number two, follow number one. 
And so what I did is when I came into the industry, I just sought out number one. And this is what I would do in every single um, venture, right? And this is why you and I befriended uh, very early on because, I mean, you're one of the top in the podcast space. And if I study number one, it makes, I mean, then I don't have to go through all the stuff, right? Dr. Edwards Deming said that, you know, Dr. Edwards Deming, right? So the Deming yes, process. Yeah. yeah. And what he said when he came back after uh, taking uh, Japan Amer ahead of America, America sent number two of GM to his house and said, hey, Dr. Edwards Deming, we want to talk to you. He said, who are you? He said, I'm the number two at GM. And he said, and he slammed the door in his face. He said, go get me number one. Because unless I talk to number one, I can't do anything. And I think that if we started to look that way and not to say number one is a person, but it's the vision, the best that you can possibly be. And so what I did when I got in the industry, I just sought out number one. And it was a guy named Robert Cromines. And Robert Cromines, I just told him, I, I don't have any ability. I can't do anything like all any of these people do. But what I can do is do anything that you tell me to do. And I will not say no to you. You tell me to go here, go there, go here, I'll go. And in 1998, he told me, you know, hey, we're going to open in Vegas. And I lived in San Diego at the time. And... <laughs> You know, everyone in San Diego is like, I'm not leaving San Diego. Why would you go to the desert? But I told him, I'll do what you tell me to do. And I went. And then you know what happened, Richard? Is when, it, when I became the highest earner in that company, everyone started asking, why did he get to go? Well, it was because I went and took something that nobody else wanted. And so I'm, I've made a business and a, a career out of doing things that other people just aren't willing to do. And, you know, doing the stuff that a lot of times is nasty at first, and that turns into crazy opportunities later. Well, that's something I wanted to hit on because you told me an amazing story. And as you know, I'm a, I'm a history buff. And something, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said that, you know, there's never a traffic jam on the extra mile. And you told me the story, and I want you to tell it because I love the story, how you ended up behind the camera on the Paul <laughs> Abdul video because you went to help her on the extra mile. And that nothing was expected of you, but because you were going the extra mile, they, you went like the extra marathon instead of just the extra mile. So could you please grace us with that story? Because that story sticks in my head every time. And I talk about it all the time about how God will put you where you're needed. And he will position you where he wants to position you. But you got to do the work. Mm. Well, it, it's funny because it actually starts way before Paula, right? So I, I remember getting in the car. I had a woman call me and say, "Hey, you know, I'm in Orange County. Can you can you come and uh, take care of me because I'm I'm going to uh, uh, a gala with Forbes of uh, the magazine." And she was going to do that. So I stopped and I, I had to leave my house at like probably five thirty in the morning to get to her at six thirty because then I was getting up to L.A. at like nine, and. I had to stop and take care of her hair there. So I got there. And when I get there, this woman, uh, my friend, Lori Baker, I love you. Um, she has a big dog while well, I'm dressed in black and she has a big dog and it sheds a lot. So I walk in, the dog jumps on me, get dog hair all over me, whatever it is. I go through and I get done with Lori's hair. She shows me a couple uh, really cool things. She actually helped. Um, what was it? Uh, uh, what was the, the baseball when, um, when Barry Bonds, hit the asterisk ball. Right. Yep. So there was, what uh, there was a company I'm trying to think of the company um, that she was working with, but we'll move on from there. Um, but they were going to take the ball and shred it. And, uh, and she was the marketing uh, woman with this company the PR and marketing. So she said, Hey, don't shred it. Um, put a, a poll up and see what the public wants to do with it. Either shoot it into outer space or give it to the, the hall of fame or whatever it is. And she tells me this story while I've got dog hair on me and I've got to get to LA at nine o'clock. She tells me, and then she walks out with a ball and she's like, this is one of the balls that they printed to be able to show us. And she had the ball with her, which was such a cool experience. But then I leave the house and I'm on my way up to LA and I'm kind of behind a little bit, but 
I had taken a, um, a protein uh, shaker and put, you know, water and protein in it. I have it in the car and I run to the car. I got dog hair all over me. I've got my, um, my protein shake sitting in the car waiting for me and I grab it and I go to shake it. And as I go to shake it, I didn't tighten it. So as I didn't tighten it, it just went all over me everywhere. And I'm thinking I'm in black. I've got this chocolate shake all over me. This is horrible. And then I'm thinking, man, maybe I shouldn't even go. I shouldn't go up to LA because I'm supposed to meet my friend and she wanted to show me her new place that she's working. And I was like, ah, maybe I shouldn't go. Then I thought, let me just go ahead and just flip my jacket inside out and I'll flip my jacket inside out. No one will know. And they'll just think that it's kind of a cool little style, whatever it is. And then I go up and I uh, drive up to LA, hit a little bit of traffic. And I'm thinking maybe I should just go back home because there's so much traffic. Then I get there to LA in Santa Monica. There's no parking, no parking at all. And I'm just cussing like, you know, out loud to myself. Maybe I should go home. So I find a parking spot, I have to walk across the way, but it's only two hour parking. So I got to be very conscious of that I walk into the place and there's Sylvia. Hey, Sylvia, how you doing? She's like, Hey, cool. We're going to go through these things. She shows me this place called Famecast. She's like, let's go to Starbucks. We go to Starbucks. We come back. She's like, I got a surprise for you. I said, cool. And at this point I'm like, I don't even want a surprise because I got shake on me. I got dog hair on me. Like I couldn't park. I'm just mad. And, um, she's like, Hey, um, can you help me rearrange, uh, this, you know, event space? So now I've driven up, woke up at like five o'clock in the morning, driven up, I got dog hair on me, I got shake on me. I couldn't find parking. And now she's going to ask me to, to rearrange her warehouse, like her, her studio. And I'm like, but my dad taught me do whatever it takes, you know, what the people need. So I start moving tables, start moving chairs. As I get to the last chair, I'm walking up. And in walks two people. And one of the one of the people I look over and I, I see the uh, the woman, there's two women, uh, one walking, and I look at her and I'm like, hey, you know, my name is Kelly. And then I turn and I realize it's Paula Abdul is the second lady. And it just I, I was like, holy cow, this is a legend. I mean, this is an icon. And we're uh, she's filmed some TikTok videos there and they're going to film and I'm watching her and I, I just mentioned to her, I said, Paula, I think if you do this, it'll be funnier. And she was like, oh, I'll try it. She tries it and everyone starts rolling. And she's like, oh my gosh. And I said, well, if you hold the camera like this, she's like, can you hold it for me? And so I'm holding the phone for her. And then in the next shot, she's like, hey, Kelly, can you come over? Can you just film? And I end up for two and a half hours filming Paula Abdul for TikToks. And then she's telling me the story of how she was able to break into the music industry, all these things. The point of the story for me was I had so many opportunities to, to walk away and to quit. And most of the opportunities that we have and that will come won't come in the, in the, in the shell that you want it to. It'll come with dog hair on it, with a shake on your shirt, uh, with no parking, um, and with moving furniture. But because of that, I got a chance to be able to sit and produce with Paul Abdul for two and a half hours. And then you know what happened? The guy who was her choreographer called me later and he was like, Hey man, I would love to work together in the future. And I'm thinking, I'm not a producer. I'm not a filmer, but I will be for you. So whenever you need me, give me a call. Uh, and I love that story. And I tell the people all that story. Well, number one, because I, I love the story, but I've actually done it where I poured my poured myself a shake, started shaking it up. And it just explodes all over me. And it's only with banana shakes. And I don't know why, but my wife calls me banana boy. Because I do it <laughs> only with banana shakes. And I don't know why. That's why that story really hits home. But now a lot of people, because um, I had um, a gentleman on. His name is uh, Rich Davini. He's a, a, a Navy SEAL commander. And he talks about how in his life, he, he wrote a book called The Attributes. In his life, if something good happens, he celebrates for three minutes and then moves on. Or if he fails at something or loses at something, he gets depressed for three minutes and then moves on. Because I found that, like you were talking about, you know, Barry Bonds playing for the San Francisco Giants at the time. You know, a lot of people, when they win the championship, they'll never win another one because they're so busy celebrating that same championship. Now, I'm a L.A. guy. I'm a Kobe guy. <laughs> and Kobe, 
the day after he won each of his championships at 4 a.m., he was in the gym making shots because he was always going for the next one. He wasn't celebrating the last vic- the last victory. So talk about that, you know, not getting fat, dumb, and happy if you have a little success because then uh, that's when I see a lot of people fail is because then they just stop trying. <laughs> I, I think I'm the – I don't know if I could give advice on it. I, I could give advice on what not to do um, because, you know, there's been so many times where there's mountaintops, right? And so what, what God has taught me though, is you're only going to be on the mountaintop for a very short amount of time, like what Kobe was talking about. And what he taught me was the mountaintop was designed for you to be able to have the vision to choose the valley that you want to go in to get rest, to be able to climb the next mountain. And there's so many people that get, down about being in the valley. Oh, I'm in the valley. I'm in the dark. But the dark was designed for rest. And the only reason why the valley or the darkness a lot of times or the, you know, those, those deep dark valleys that we all go through um, is because we resist them, is because we try and be awake during it. And see, what God gave me a couple, a couple years ago, he said, there's, you're either in the ICU, you're in uh, rehab, or you're on the battlefield. Right. And so think about it. He said, you're, he told me at the time I was going through a lot of crazy stuff in my life. I mean, losing my, both my parents within, you know, a couple of years and, um, you know, pandemic stuff and all these things. And he said, son, you're in the ICU. If you try and rehab right now, you'll harm yourself because you're in the ICU. So recover. He said, when you get into rehab, you don't need to be laying around like you're in the ICU, but you definitely don't need to be on the battlefield because you're not ready. Once you get on the battlefield, because when you get on the battlefield, the reason why you'll be prepared is because you went through rehab, you went through the ICU, and you're ready for battle. And once you get done with battle, you know where you need to go? The ICU. And so you stay in that circle and be okay in each and every one of them and be okay with the valley. Like the dark times, people are like, oh man, I'm so down and you know I'm feeling depressed. Well, that's a time to rest. That's a God. I mean, think about it. When it's dark, that's when you truly, truly rest. You can't rest in the light, but we need it. We need that rest. So, you know, and I've gotten trouble for saying these things, but people, uh, you know, I said about depression and anxiety, right? And these are things that I've I've dealt with in the past. And I'm not judging people on it, but I'm just saying, like, anxiety is the ability to hyperfocus if you choose to see it that way. Depression is the ability to rest. You need to rest during that time. It's time. And what if you, but if you try and focus during rest time, it doesn't work. And I just think that if we allowed those things to happen and we invited them when we really, really celebrated them, we really, really celebrated exactly where we're at. Am I in the valley? Let me celebrate it because why? I get rest. If I'm on the way up the mountain and I'm exerting myself, let me celebrate it. Why? Because the process is what I'm going to talk about anyway. When I'm on the top of the mountain, we could celebrate it because now I have the view of all the valleys and I get to choose the one as opposed to the one being chose for me that I'm going to go into the deep, dark valley. Yeah, you know, and, and I totally agree. And I also think that you can go through those three things in the same day. Like sometimes, sometimes you wake up, like I see you, um, not, not I see you, but I mean, <laughs> I watch you, you know, while you're at the beach, you know, reading a book or I see Joe Graham with his wife, you know, or just taking a walk in the morning. And then an hour later, I see you guys crushing it on social media. And then at the end of the day, you know, you guys kind of relax and recover for the next day. So sometimes you can do all three in the same day, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just, it's, it's having grace with yourself. I mean, I think this is a cool thing. I mean, Richard, your, your whole entire story, you know, being able to come back, it's not about like you being perfect. It's just about you getting up, you know, and getting up and trying and having the permission. Like I, I, I had this desire this morning. I haven't shared this with anyone because it just happened this morning. I was on the way to take my daughter to school and I wanted to reach out to my a uh, couple of my friends, my brother and my uh, my best friend Will. I haven't reached out to him yet, but I just want them uh, to know. Sometimes I would like to hear that they're proud of me. That's yeah. it, because as I men, 
yeah. as men, right? As men, we don't hear that because a lot of times we don't ask for it. And people don't know where to really celebrate us. But if we can let them know, you know, hey, this is this really would mean a lot to me. And for someone to be proud of you, and the reason why I say that, I think there's a little bit of a hole for me because I heard that my dad was proud of me every day. I heard that my mom was proud of me every day that she was on earth and that he was on earth. You know what I mean? And for guys, especially men, to hear that someone is proud of them for a specific reason causes us as men to jump to a whole different level, man. Yeah, and I feel that because just the other day, I don't know, me and my wife, we were just doing something. And she goes, you know what? Your hair looks really nice today. And my wife is not one for compliments. But when she said that, I swear I was five feet off the ground. <laughs> I felt like I was Superman. I felt like I was the sexiest thing on earth just because she paid me a compliment. And I let her know, you know, I said, honey, that really made my day. Thank you so much. And I think sometimes, even if you just hear that little something from somebody, hey, you're doing a great job, or, you know, I loved your show or whatever. Because sometimes you just, like I talked before we came on, there's many times this, this last year I felt like quitting. But then I'd get a, see something from you or Eric, or I'd get a message from Joe, and he'd be like, hey, bro, I love what you're doing. And it lets you keep on that one more day. So I, I totally, I totally agree with what you're saying. Now I had somebody, I, I said, I, I'm having Kelly come on my show today. And he said, I need to know in a quick down and dirty to how to, how to build a great business. And I said, Kelly is the exact person to answer that question. So <laughs> can you give us the Barney version of how to build a great business? <laughs> well, the, the first thing that you need to look at is your accounting. It's the very, very first thing. Uh, I would get a, a, either a high level accountant, way more expensive than you can afford right now, or I would get in touch with them. And then I would ask them a couple of things that you could set your company up based off of where you wanted to go, as opposed to where you want, uh, where you are right now. That's the very, very first thing. Uh, second thing is I would do a bottom line, um, accounting and bottom line accounting is different than top line accounting. Bottom line accounting means that you choose the profit margin that you want and you pay yourself first and then you deal with all the rest and pay the bills with all the rest. And this is something that most entrepreneurs never do. They don't choose their profit margin. I wish I would have learned this very early on. And if you choose your profit margin, say you say, I want to be at 20% profit margin. You make $100, 20 of it goes into a separate account that you do not touch and you run your business with $80. If you can't run your business with $80, then you tighten systems up and you make them, uh, you make them clear. Uh, the, the third thing that I would look at is you have to understand why you're doing what you're doing. Okay. Um, and make sure that that is very, very solid. And you can tell a story to a four-year-old and they'd be able to understand it. Number four is, or number four is going to be, uh, you're going to look, once you do that, you understand that reason why, what you're going to do is you're going to take, and you're going to really, really look at your leadership and form your leadership. Okay. So your leadership will take and build the, uh, the, systems and the systems will ultimately build the culture. But most people look at it backwards and they're like, oh, I need to build the culture and then that'll develop the systems. And then that, no, no, no. What we need to do is we need to understand why we're doing what we're doing, develop your leadership, let your leadership develop the systems, the systems develop the culture. And the culture <laughs> is going to be, Richard, the culture is the, the actions of the people inside, not the placards that you put on the wall. Okay. And so once you, when you do, when you do that and I would look at it, right. Then you want to uh, say, and this is just a quick one, but uh, to understand if you're going to do a brick and mortar uh, with a brick and mortar, you want to be at 7%. Um, your rent should be 7% of what you, what your, uh, what your top line revenue is. Okay. Cause when you go over 7%, then you start digging into uh, your profit margin. So about seven to possibly 10%. So let me put it, put it together for you. If you make $20,000 a month, your rent would be roughly $2,000. Okay. And you're going to be at a, a good spot, but understand those things. And the last thing that I'll say is get your accountant to speak your language as opposed to you trying to speak theirs. And here's an example. <clears throat> 
I'm, I'm mentoring a kid that's just starting a business. And what I said to him, a lot of times profit margin or ROI or top line and bottom line accounting, these are not things that uh, artists have the tendency to look at. But a lot of times what we try and do is we try and adapt to someone else's language as opposed to draw them into ours. So if you like, say, pineapples, what you need to say, Richard, is with your accountant when you're starting a business, I want to make for every 100 pineapples that come into my business, I want to keep 20. And get your accountant to speak your language. That's my language. I don't work in profit margin. I work in pineapples. So when I make 20 pineapples for every 100 that I come in, I'm super happy. Now what starts to happen is you understand the language because most languages of your accountant or your real estate agent that's helping you to be able to get your place or your vendors or anything like that, a lot of times they try and draw you into their language. And then you have to speak 50 different languages as opposed to getting them all to speak yours that you understand that you get excited about. And now you're able to convey that to the rest of the people inside your culture. Okay. And I love that. And I want to ask a specific question. As you see, I'm writing stuff down because yeah. I have so many questions that I, and I don't want to forget because <laughs> I, I just appreciate everything that you're doing for me. I have a friend, his name is John. He has a, he has his own salon called Sparta Cuts here in New yeah. Jersey. And he's the official barber of the New York Jets. Oh, awesome. Um, and the thing is, I wanted to ask this question because I've been interviewing very high level people like yourself like John Lee Dumas, and they always, they, they've been telling me that if you're competing on price that, and you're always lower pricing, lower pricing, you're just racing to the bottom. And that there's, you know, people like when I was with GNC, if I had a whole case of $70 pre-workouts and I had two pre-workouts for 15 bucks, I would sell out all the $70 ones and the $15 would, would still be there because a lot of people think, well, if it's more expensive, it's got to be better. So talk to us about, you know, making sure that, you know, you may not be the cheapest, but there is a lot of um, a lot to be said for like even Russell Brunson, Alex Hormozzi. They talk about it. There is something to be one of the most expensive people. If, if you're if if you're providing enough value. Yeah. So please talk about pricing because a lot of people, I'm going to start a t-shirt company. Well, you're not going to be able to compete with Black Rifle. You're not going to be able to compete with some of these companies. If you're selling a $10 shirt, you're going to go out of business. Yeah. So I, I love what you talk about as far as knowing your margins. So please talk <laughs> about pricing and margins. Yeah. So, um, well, and also understanding your environment and the culture that you're doing. For me, um, my pops always taught me that uh, you always give twice as much as what you charge. So if you charge, you know, $10 for a haircut, then give them $20 worth of service. And it's amazing because $20 worth of service doesn't cost you anything. It's, it's the little things. It's saying hello, using their name three times, um, making sure that they get specific compliments that are really from your heart. And if you give $20 worth of service for a $10 haircut, you'll have evangelists. And then you'll get to a breaking point where you have so much demand that it will cause a price increase. And so, you know, I, there's the other school of thought of like, I'm just going to go super high and then I'm going to try and deliver on that. That's okay. I mean, you could do that too. Um, I just find a lot of times the closer and closer you get to something, the worse and worse it looks. And what I would suggest is take your product. So your friend, John, there, here's a four-part belief system that if you take these, and I'm just going to construct your whole business for you, okay? So um, if you're if you're in the barber world, uh, you're dealing with a lot of guys, but guys have the tendency to either get color or treatments or relaxers or whatever it is. So here's the thing. I won't ever um, blow dry someone else's haircut, which is normal because every barber, they're going to cut the hair. But take it to this level. I won't cut someone else's treatment meaning relaxer, color, or uh, conditioning treatment. Meaning that if I cut it, then I'm going to put a relaxer on it, I'm going to put color on it, I'm going to put a conditioning treatment on it. Every single person will get their beard trimmed, their eyebrows trimmed, or their mustache trimmed. And they will all take home shampoo or conditioner and the styling aid that I used. 
Now, what just happened with that is I took you from a haircut that maybe cost $50 to a treatment that maybe cost $50. So I just doubled your income. Then I took you to, uh, to a, a, a situation of a beard trim, an eyebrow trim or something that added on and maybe it added 50% to it. So I took you from you know, $50 to $100 to $150. Now that's three times what you started off with. And now I sell them shampoo, conditioner, and a, a styling aid. And you know what that adds on? About $40 to $50. So now I just took you from a $50 haircut to uh, a $200 service. Okay, $150 service. And then I just took you $50 more, took you up to $200. So now I just four times your income with no new guest. But you got to believe it in your heart. You got to believe that every single person that sits down would look better with your color, your relaxer, or your treatment that you put on them. Every person, including myself, would look better with a beard trim or trimming in your ears or your eyebrows or, you know, there's so many guys out there. And, and guys, please hear me in this. There's so many professional men out there that are not trimming the inside of their ears and their eyebrows. And this is one of the biggest distractors when you're having a conversation with them, when they have like tentacles coming off the top of their eyebrows or they have like an afro inside their ear. People see that. But John, <laughs> that was my dad. My dad, my dad was that way. And he'd and have John, nose hair. And I'm looking at him like, come on, dad. You got to turn And and John the bar John the barber, look at this. If I could take you and you do the exact same amount of people and you you were getting 50 bucks and now you're getting 200. That just four times your income. So that means that you can either do one fourth of the guests that you saw and do the exact same amount of money or you could do the same amount and make four times as much money. But it's not and this is for entrepreneurs and especially in the hair industry it's not about what you make. It's about what you keep. And hairdressers have the tendency not to look. They look too hard at the top line. They don't look at the bottom line. And it goes back to that second thing that I was talking about, right? Choosing your profit margin. How much do you want to make out of every dollar that comes in? How many pineapples do you want? Right? And so what I would say is a lot of times people get caught up, right? So they get caught up on like, hey, this guy only charges you know, say, let's take a course or, uh, or a haircut or whatever it is. This guy, that guy only charges $25. This is what used to happen all the time. Well, and they would beat their chest. They'd be like, that only guy only charged $25 for a haircut. I charge 100. I was like, how, how long does it take you to do a haircut? They were like anywhere from like an hour to an hour and a half. And I would ask the kid who did $25 haircuts. I said, how quickly can you do a haircut? They said, I do one every 10 to 15 minutes. Let's do math here. Let's do math. 25 times four, which they would do four in an hour at 15 minutes. That's a hundred bucks. This person beating their chest took an hour and a half and they charged a hundred bucks. They're making less. So either way is going to be okay for you. If you're going to have a lower price point, you got to do higher volume. If you want to do less volume, you just got to charge more. So Here's the, th here's the point that I'm at in my career is I know that I'm going to expend the exact same amount of energy the exact same, because that's the way I was taught by my pop and my mom. I'm going to spend the exact same amount of energy if I charge you $5 or I charge you $500. And in my case right now, for me, I would much rather charge you $500 because I know I'm going to deliver because I'm going to give you $1,000 worth of service. But if you aren't at that place, it's okay. Do as much volume as you can, because the more you do it, just like you, the reason why you're one of the best podcasters in the world is why? Because you have 300 episodes right now that are recorded that haven't been released. You're doing it all the time. That's how you get better. I love it. And, but also I realized that if you were working at one of these cut rate $20 a haircut place, Mr. Greg Reed, is not having you come to his secret knocks because so, you're because you're a different kind of dude so i'm going to ask you a couple of questions because yeah. we're all mutual friends and i just want you to shoot on a couple of people tell us a little bit about what you think about them because they mean a lot to me especially especially mr greg reed he actually called me on father's day just to wish me a happy father's day so i really awesome. love greg reed what do you love about greg reed he takes care of everybody else first. 
every time I go over to his house, uh, we play pool all the time. We just hang out and, um, he always feeds me first. He always makes sure that my plate is full before he ever touches anything. And that's the way he is all the way through with his whole entire personality. Eric G. Allen. Talk to me about Eric. Eric's a dog. Eric is ready and willing to do anything for you at any time. You could call him at midnight and he's ready to go. I had an interview with Eddie George and I didn't have my equipment with me. And Eric went, he bent over backwards. He got me his password into his software and sat with me and made sure I was good. Eric is a dog. He's that guy that you need with you. Like at, at midnight, if you call him and you need him under a bridge with a shotgun, Eric's going to be there. I love it. Last, last, but definitely not least my brother, Joe Graham of 150 K podcast. Joe Graham is a brother and you know, I've never actually spent physical time with Joe, but Joe is my brother. And that guy is the best at what he does, but he's willing to shine the light on every other person. And that I takes love, strength. I love And that's why I love those guys. I, I consider us the four amigos. So I love it. So brother, tell us, uh, what do you got coming up? What do you got going on? How can we support your mission? Well, number one, uh, check out the podcast. Uh, the podcast, uh, it would be great. Um, number two is going to be uh, the daily vibe. So the daily vibe uh, to be able to quiet the social media side, um, you know, because a lot of times you have to scroll through a lot of things to be able to get what you want. Uh, the daily vibe is inspiration to your inbox every single day. And it's just quick little things that will add value to your life. Um, the vibe room is coming, which is December 29th. Um, that is a live version of the podcast. We've actually got uh, Paul Cardall, one of the most downloaded uh, musical artists of our time. Uh, he's going to be there. And uh, Sharon, I've got uh, the uh, CEO of the Table One, which is uh, Michael Mina's restaurant group. And he, uh, his name is Patrick Humel. He'll be there talking about how to be able to uh, elevate service at the highest level. And then I got uh, the Absolute Motivator, which is uh, James Dixon. So with that lineup, um, we're going to be in Salt Lake City at the Edison House on December 29th. Uh, there is only 25 tickets left right now, and it is going to be an unbelievable night uh, to be able to take us into a new year with a new vibe. Um, and then finally, uh, Secret Knock. I mean, it's the number one networking conference in the world that you can't go to unless you're invited. And I happen to have an invitation because I'm the co-host. Uh, so Secret Knock is uh, honestly like... When people have asked me to explain Secret Knock, you can't explain Secret Knock till you come. And when you come, you can't even explain it to your family because it, it'll make you mad because it's one of the most transformational um, events that you'll ever go to because you're in the room with people with no name tag. You have no idea who you're sitting next to, um, but every single one of them can impact your life in an incredible, incredible way. And I know Greg, Greg Reed. Um, I'll tell, I tell everybody, I told this little story that he called me on Father's Day um, and we were, cause we, you introduced us and I had him on my show, obviously. And, and I asked him what he was doing for Father's Day. He's like, you know what? I just asked my son to go pick out the car that he wants to drive. And we're going to take a ride up the Pacific coast highway. And I think his kid picked out like a Bugatti or something like that. And I was just like, okay. I see where we're different. I see where I can be. I see where I'm heading, but he ex helped expand my mind, but he didn't do it in a, you know, you get those people that brag. He's not that way. He was just, just saying, well, that's what I'm doing. I'm not bragging. You asked me, so I'm telling you. And that's what I love about Greg and especially Sharon's book, uh, three feet from gold. I think that those two are amazing. So I love them and I love you. So how, where do we exactly find your podcast and all, and all the ways to get in touch with you? So, um, on YouTube, it's the Kelly Cardenas podcast. Um, if you go to, uh, Instagram it's the real Kelly Cardenas and, um, uh, kellycardenas.com. So I wanted to make it as simple as possible. Um, you know, and, and the reason why we did the vibe room is because we wanted to do a live version of the podcast. Cause so many people have said like, I want to meet the Richard Kaufman's of the world. And I want to be in the room 
And so the last one, we had Larry Namer, who's the uh, founder of the E Entertainment Network. We had Lonnie Paxton, who was a long snapper for the um, New York, our New England Patriots and won three Super Bowls with Tom Brady. Yep. Um, and so, you know, we just, we, we have this and you get a chance to be in the room um, with these people. And what's cool about it is they're sitting in the room before they ever go up on stage. So you get a chance to just hang with them. And it's, it's an unbelievable, unbelievable thing. So, um, but yeah, those are the ways to be able to get a hold of me. And brother, I just want to say thank you so much. You've been an inspiration. You've been somebody that I know that I can message you or call you anytime and I know you'll pick up. So I just want to say thank you for being a friend and a brother. I want to thank you, man. I want to thank you for the mission that you're on and what you've been doing and for your podcast and not only that, but your message. And it impacts so many people, man. It impacts so many lives. And um, it, it meant the world to me to to hear you say um, that there was times where I lifted you up because you lift me up every single day. And I appreciate you, man. And I'm proud of you. And um, for all the people who never tell you that they're listening, they are. And they're being impacted. Thank you, brother. Now, the reason why I moved the mic, because I wear this T-shirt, Today I Decide. <laughs> and the way I, I, I learned that from um, one of my favorite pastors, Joel Osteen, that every day we, get, we wake up, we have a decision. We could either be a victim or we can be a victor. And the people that listen to this show, they're all victors. And if you just just the first time checking us out, just remember when you wake up today and when you go to bed tonight, you don't have to be the same person that you were when you woke up this morning. You can be a victor and put away the victim. So I just want to say that, guys, and I love you. Kelly, brother, I love and I appreciate you so much. I love you too, man. All right, guys. So remember, check us out at verticalmomentumpodcast.com. You can find all of our T-shirts, hats, swag, coffee. Um, but also this episode will be there, so check us out. And also, guys, remember, vertical momentum, the only way to go is up. And I love you guys. Kelly, have an amazing week, brother. Love you, buddy. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.